Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. There's a couple of things I want to mention. Number one, we're anticipating an, uh, a wonderful vacation Bible school, and I think you can see the the efforts that have been made up here. We have to get a smoke machine from somewhere. If anybody's got a freebie we can use that causes smoke to come out up here. And this thing, it, it actually comes alive, and that's scary. But uh, and, and what isn't uh, noticeable up here is that in addition to um, the Vacation Bible School regular program, we're going to have a petting zoo, and we'll have pony rides and all that kind of stuff for the children. So uh, if you have grandchildren and uh, uh, neighborhood children, you know, get them all signed up. And, and, uh, and immediately after church, the, the leaders of Vacation Bible School want uh, all the people who have volunteered, adult volunteers and teenage volunteers who are going to help to sit, come up here just for a brief meeting where William is sitting here, if you do that. The other thing that's just probably noticeable when you came in is that the track chair was missing. It's gone for the weekend. It actually was uh, requested and by, and I had to have them to write this down for me, by the Portsmouth Spartan Kettleball Club. Now, that doesn't mean a cockeyed thing to me, to be honest with you, but I know who runs it. And, uh, uh, and so what they did is Dale King runs it. It's a place down there where they try to act like men and lift things and, you know, all that kind of nonsense. And uh, because I've showed them how to do their exercises, and they just don't pay much attention to me. For, you know, it, it works really well. It's gotten, gotten me along for 80 years. I don't know what their problem is. But anyway, it, that, that thing is, a, they asked for it to take it down to their place for a fundraiser to help pay for it. And if anybody else wants to do that, we'll let you borrow it for a weekend too. That's perfectly all right. But the neat thing was there's a kid down there who has cerebral palsy or something like that that is debilitating. And he hangs out at their place all the time. And Dale, time takes, Dale King kind of takes good care of him. And uh, they let him take a little ride in it. And I thought you all would just kind of like to see him uh, take a little ride in, in the track chair. So I think we've got that so we can show it to you. 180, that works. Let's do it, Connor, get up there. Woo! Yeah. That's it, Connor! Get to the top. That's Dale right, helping. Right. Yeah! yeah. Come on! Get ah! Let's get you straight. We're almost there. <laughs> oh, Let's go, Carter! Come on! Push it forward, baby. Come on, Carter! Oh! Yeah! Oh! So you can see what when this thing gets in the hands of a youngster who just can't go anywhere else. Once he learns how to fiddle with that joystick, why, he can go anywhere in it. It's, it's really a neat uh, contraption. 
And uh, so far, we've had through donations, let's see, the whole thing cost 1200 $12,200 and some dollars. And, and so far, not counting what people are throwing in here, because uh, the, the dump day for all of your coins is the last weekend of June. Uh, that's the first one. We'll need more than that to get it paid for you. So you dump your, uh, your coin and take it back home and start again. But right now, we've had... Uh, Paula gave me a little sheet of paper that said we've had in excess of $1,700 come in so far uh, on its payment, and these guys are helping. Uh, I have no idea how much money they'll raise this weekend, but I think it was really neat of them to, to take it and to, for that. And I, and I love the thing. I, I, think it's, I think he has cerebral palsy or something similar to that, uh, a disease, and they were letting him try to drive it up the, up the levee down at the... So those are the two things I wanted to mention to you. Uh, the sermon t for today is one that all of us can kind of get our teeth into. It, is, it, it has profound implications, but at the same time, it was meant for all Christians. The one thing that you need to know before we start is, okay, we're assuming in the text that he's talking to Christian people. And, and, and the, the people in the province of Galatia, and this is the Apostle Paul, and the people in the province of Galatia, it's not a city, it has several cities in it, it's an area, it's a count, like a county or something. And he was really irritated with them because they had messed up the simplicity of the gospel. The gospel, the New Testament church gospel, is a simple message that anybody can understand. And any time that it gets to the place where it gets confusing, we've messed up in our delivery and preparation. And here's the point. What was the church, what, what did it come into existence for? What was God's plan? Because sometimes we, get, we just get lost in what God was wanting to accomplish. If you don't go back to the 42nd chapter of the book of Isaiah and read what he wrote to, what Isaiah wrote, in that 42nd chapter, he spelled out why Israel existed. Why did he create the nation of Israel? Little, little old place. What was its primary purpose? Here's what he said. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Now, in 10 cent store language, to the Jewish nation, that meant they were, by the very life they lived and the way they treated each other and the way they treated the foreigners and everybody else, they were there for the purpose of showing everybody else who the true and the living God was. It was that simple. 
And, and he describes it as being a light to the Gentiles. Now, the fact of the matter is, Israel failed. Sad, 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 they failed. They didn't get the job done. And so, God created, he said, okay, there's no longer Jew or Gentile. They're just people. And from those people, just from those people that I will call, into a new thing called the church, and it's a new thing. Its primary reason for existing will be the exactly the same reason as I called Israel into existence. You're to be the, a light in the world. You're to let the whole world know who Jesus Christ is by the life that you live and the way we treat each other and other people. It's that simple. And I want you to hold that line. Don't let anybody move you from it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church and he said, I'm disgusted with you that you are so soon removed from the simplicity of the gospel. That's your mission. Just live in such a way that, and it won't be easy. You'll run into, into resistance. You'll run into criticism. You'll have all kinds of problems. But don't let that distract you from your primary goal. See, we have, we have fallen into a, uh, an abyss almost of believing that the primary reason for the church is just to get people to heaven. It is for that purpose. But the, it wasn't the reason why he, that wasn't God's primary reason. It was to take the people that are going to heaven to be the light of the world. And he really sits down on that. Jesus said this, I'm the light of the world. You let me live in you and you become the light of the world. And he says it, and that's why he starts his ministry, for heaven's sakes, in the Sermon on the Mount. Makes that abundantly clear. And so what we want to talk about is, is that, and I'll point to here as being the place of salvation, and over here as the place where we get to when by just us living our lives on a daily basis, the light of the world shines. Now, let me point out ahead of time, before we move into this, that even Christians... When we come under undue stress, have a tendency to revert back to the way we were before we became a Christian, because that's ground that we, that's a place of comfort for us. So remember that. And the and the New Testament says to one group of people, remember from where you have fallen. Because they had reverted back under, under tremendous stress. It was the great persecution. They had, under that stress, they had reverted back to the level they were before they were saved. Because that was ground that they were comfortable in. They moved back to their comfort level. Now, I want to read this passage from the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, starting at verse 13. 
and verse, at least through verse 19, and then we'll, then we'll kind of take it from there. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Now, let me emphasize freedom. I fuss at times with my friends who happen to be Calvinist. Sincere Christian people happen to be Calvinist. I don't necessarily agree with them, but uh, they are true believers. Emphasize on that everything that happened, God causes. See, I, I don't believe that. Because I think Satan is as real as we are. And that sucker uh, is the cause of a lot of the heartache and headache that, that we have. And he works through other people, but he gets it done. So why, are we, why is being free so important? Because there can't be love unless we're free. Love can only be love if, if you have a choice not to love. And so God set us free. He said, if you're free in Christ, you're free indeed. In Kentucky, we call it indeedy. Yes, indeedy. Yeah. So freedom is necessary for us to be able to choose to serve God or not to. And when you choose to serve him because he has first loved you, now you love him, then love can exist. And without love, there's no church. There's just an organization and a bunch of people sitting together doing whatever, religious stuff. That's the reason Jesus said in that same Sermon on the Mount, not everybody who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. Because there's a difference between religion and the loving of the Lord. And I fuss with different denominations about this all the time. When I go to Uganda, they're primarily Pentecostal people. Most of them are. There, there are other denominations. But the, the people who have done a great evangelistic work have been kind of associated with uh, the Assemblies of God and some of those Pentecostal people because the emotional attraction is there. And, uh, and so I, I fuss with them because so much emphasis is put on tongues and healing that they forget about love. And Jesus said, if you speak with the tongues of angels, or Paul said, if you speak with the tongues of men and angels and you don't have love, it's just a lot of noise. If you have the faith to remove mountains and you don't love, it's of no value. If you can raise the dead for heaven's sakes and don't have love, You've just got yourself a good hospital, and that's all. Because love is the single most important thing. It's the only one that will, that will remain in God's eternal kingdom. Now there remaineth these three, faith, hope, and love. Only one's going to last, love. Now, so freedom becomes extremely important in order for us to choose to have the Holy Spirit guide us to get us from conversion to the place where we have grown, to the place where the, the light of God can be seen in us. It's tremendously important. So let's keep on reading. But he says, do not use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. So all of us were born with a tendency towards sin. I don't think we were born sinners, but I think we were born with a propensity for sin, and ultimately all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
I don't think a newborn baby is a sinner. Now, the Catholic Church does, and some of the other churches who do infant baptism, they do believe that they're born sinners. I don't. And some other time, I'll take the time to explain why. He says, rather than serving your sinful nature, your selfish nature, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Because, and, because they were fighting like cats and dogs. And he said, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you'll destroy each other. So I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. Now, some of the translations, and I think accurately so, instead of saying conflict, actually use the word war. There's a war going on here between the sinful nature and Satan manipulating it and our desire to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, so he says they're in conflict. I say insert the word wars, all right, with each other. So that you do not do what you want, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, and that's what we're talking about today, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, if these things are what you're doing, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the way he puts it up. So it's really serious stuff that he puts out here. And and he's wanting you and me and every other believer to mature to get to the place where we're just now converted. Because you can't tell the difference between a new convert and a sinner very often. The only difference is the new convert says, I'm a new convert. (laughs) But as far as the life is concerned, there's usually very little difference. Very little difference. So, you need to mature from that newborn experience to get to the place where that the life that you live reflects the indwelling of Jesus Christ in your life. And I think you would probably agree with me that as the church universal, not just our congregation, but as a church universal, we haven't done a very good job at that. And yet that's the primary reason why we should exist. Let the world know who Jesus is just by watching us. So that they'll get to the place where they say, I don't know what it is they have, but I want it. So, now let's look at things here a little bit. First of all, let's admit, under number one, that it's a struggle. We struggle with selfishness. Every one of us do. Every one of us do. And to cease to be selfish and to get to be... Because everybody is selfish before they're converted. And here's the problem. After they're converted, if they come under undue stress there's a tendency to revert back to, to putting themselves in the center of everything. Sometimes it's self-pity, sometimes it's other, but putting themselves in the middle of concern, and God has to move out. But what God is wanting is for him to be in the center of things, not just, and then the people, our neighbor, 
next to him and us coming last. In honor, he says, putting the other brother or sister, their concern, ahead of your own. Now, that's not natural. That's spiritual. The natural man says, it is me, myself, and I. We're what really count. (coughs) That's what the flesh says. Now, Peter was that way, even after he'd followed Jesus three years, for heaven's sake. You remember when he was in the garden and the soldiers were coming to arrest Jesus? Peter whipped out his sword, took a swipe, and cut off the ear of the servant of the chief priest. And Jesus rebuked him and put it back on. Now that's an act of of the Spirit. If Jesus had been acting in the flesh, he would have said, Hey, Pete, good shot. He's got one more ear. That's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. And, and the spirit turns the other cheek, walks a second mile, does all that stuff that we really don't have time for. Another classic example of an individual under undue stress going back to his natural self was Elijah. Probably Elijah was an introvert, but whenever he got the chance to get on the platform, he was a performer. He was up on the mountain with 400 prophets of Baal, you recall? And the Baal, here was the deal. You guys, you offer your sacrifice to God, and if he comes down and the Baals consume it, that'll be our God. If you fail and I make my sacrifice and God comes down and consumes it, that'll be our God. Struggle between the Baal and the true and the living God. And, and that that gone old Elijah, you know, here were the Baal over here. They, mailed their, they, they put their offering in and they were praying to Baal, come down and consume our offering. And that, nothing was happening. And Elijah would yell, hey, maybe he's asleep. Why don't you yell louder? Now, that's not a spiritual thing to say. It's a natural thing to say. Then he would say, you know, you know uh, and they were cutting themselves and doing all kinds of things to try to get the bale to come down. Nothing happened. Elijah was smashingly successful. He was all cranked up. He even got in front of a, a chariot and ran for a long way. And then all of a sudden, a woman crossed his mind. And he just wilted. Her name was Jezebel, and she was the king's wife. And so he took off running as far away as he could get, clear down on the, on the southern end uh, of, of Israel, crawled in a cave, feeling far, sorry for himself. God took pity on him and gave him something to eat. But he was sitting there, woe is me, woe is me. Don't you feel sorry for me? I'm the only one who hasn't bowed their knee to Baal. And God said, Elijah, there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. Now get up off of your fanny and do what I called you to do. See, there's that tendency to fall back on that. The scripture calls it the flesh or the sinful nature. And there are just just scads of passages of scripture that talk about that. In the 8th chapter 
of the book of Romans where he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the struggle the Holy Spirit has in creating the Christ Jesus image in you and me. Uh, it, it is here in verse 13, if I remember correctly, where it says, For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Death means what? Separation. You'll be separated. You'll do a, have a physical death and you'll be separated from God. So the necessity of getting to the place where we're led by the Holy Spirit and not our natural selves is critical to where we're going to spend eternity. <coughs> I don't know what this is about, but I think my sinuses are sinful nature. He goes ahead and says, but if, you, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because if you're led by the Holy Spirit, you're adopted sons of God. You can live with that confidence. So there's a struggle that goes on. There's a war that goes on. You're a new convert. And now Satan and his imps start attacking you and say, well, you're not really saved because you still have evil thoughts. You're not really saved because of this. You're not really saved. And people, I know people who have been baptized half a dozen times. And the reason for that is they have never been taught how this whole system that God has put into place works. It's really a simple system. You're born again to the Holy Spirit. See, if your body is not the temple of the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. It's that simple. Now, some of the churches say, well, how do you know? And they say, well, you, you, by uh, speaking in tongues. If you're speaking, But you see, Satan speaks in tongues. So you have to be careful there. Satan raises the dead. Satan does all kinds of miracles that deceive, that are purpose for this. There's only one thing that proves that it's the Spirit of God. It's love. So if you don't get to the place where the agape love is, you're between a knot and a hard place. Now, the Spirit, the Spirit of God is here. God sent Jesus, went into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit because he's not bound by time and space. He can be here. He can be in Timbuktu. He can even be in Uganda, fellas. You know, and he can, he can be everywhere because he's not bound by time and space. And his primary thing to do is to enter a repentant body for the express purpose of getting them to the place where that the life that they live reflects Jesus Christ. That's how simple it is. But it ain't easy. It isn't easy at all. And, and the Bible tells us in this opening section here where we're struggling with uh, trying to get this all figured out and the struggle between the, the flesh and the, and the spirit and, and, and how Satan tries to cut us off at the pass. And, but you see, the Bible tells us that we need to test ourselves to make sure. And he even tells us how to do that. There's the, the number one place every Christian needs to test themselves is during communion. That's why every church needs to have communion on a regular basis. Because that's the place where you and I can test ourselves to see where we stand with the living God. Here's the way he says it in Scripture. He says, this is in the 11th chapter 
of the book of 1 Corinthians where they were fussing around about communion. He said, a man ought to examine himself before he eats uh, the bread and drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment to himself. And then he tells us what that judgment is. However, he continues to, to, uh, in, the, in this book uh, of 1 Corinthians, he continues to emphasize the necessity of self-examination. Uh, the Corinthian people just were not pleasing the, the apostle very much, and so he tells them this way. This is in in 2 Corinthians, starting at uh, chapter 13, down about verse 5. Again, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself to see if you're a believer. Examine yourself to see if the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's the test. And unless, of course, you fail the test, and I trust that you will discover that we've not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, Not that people will see that we have stood the test, but that we will do what is right, even though it may seem, it may look like we fail. We still do the right thing. You see, the problem is a Christian will face situations in life where it would be a lot easier if they did the wrong thing. And I could give you illustrations. But if you did the wrong thing, you revert back to your old sinful nature. You do the right thing, and you pay a price for it. You still pay a price for it. That happens all the time because we live in a world dominated by the prince of this world, who is the devil. The devil is the prince of this world. And he has tremendous power. You never want to take the devil on alone. If you get cornered by the devil, you call brothers and sisters in Christ and get yourself surrounded by him because, you know, the Bible in, in the book of Jude says, never take him on alone. He's too much for you. I've heard preachers get up and say, get, get, go, devil, get ready, get, get out of here, devil, get out of here, devil, get out of here, devil. Even the, the uh, Orthodox Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, immerses babies. And they put this little baby on a, a naked baby on a white towel. And the, and the priest will say, okay, devil, get out of this water because I'm getting ready to baptize this baby. And they baptize the baby three times, face forward. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Maddest baby you ever saw in your life. But, but that's what they do. And that's, I mean, that's the way they do it. And... Uh, and as if they had the capacity to tell the devil what to do, and he would do it. Be careful whenever you hear a preacher telling the devil what to do. Now, so he says you, you need to evaluate yourselves to see where you are periodically. Because the objective is to get from conversion to the place where, regardless of circumstances, the very life that you live reflects Jesus in you. Because the Holy Spirit's primary job is to create the character qualities of Jesus in a believer. That's his primary reason for indwelling you. And, and we need to understand that. Now then, what is the standard? What, 
What is he trying to get us to look? What is the standard? The standard that, uh, that he's trying to get us to look like over here is none other than Christ himself. The Apostle Paul uh, said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said he wants the Holy Spirit to work in, in, in the people there until Christ is fully formed in them. And so the only Christ that the world is going to see is the one he, they see in you and me. And I believe that we will be held accountable for not showing the light of the world who is Jesus himself by the life that we live. And that's done by the way we treat each other. And, and that's done primarily through the ministry of the body of Christ. We have, it was Billy Graham who said, I really did things wrong when all of the promotion was for Billy Graham. For he said, and, and if this is in one of his more recent books, he said, the whole business of the church is about the ministry of the body of Christ. You're not going to effectively let the world know who Jesus is just by sitting here and listening to me or to anybody else. But when we deny ourselves and go out here and change the oil for a bunch of girls or fellows who are single parents and the only time all year long they get their oil changed is when we change it and give them a little food and cut the hair of their kids and single parents fare, they pay attention to that. If we get this track chair, some kid, and give it to him so that he can get out and go out into the woods or go out into the cow pasture and go do some things that he's, he's bound to the house now, maybe just can get by on the sidewalk, and people can see that, they see Christ. For you see, it's the ministry. It is the ministry, not the person. It is the ministry that reflects the kingdom of God. It is the ministry of the body of Jesus Christ. And we are to and 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 we are to remain steadfast and be selfless in achieving that goal. I had a Catholic boy to walk up to me and recently and he said, you know, if my wife wasn't such a dyed-in-the-wool Catholic, I'd be with you guys all the time. I said, man, you are head of your house. <laughs> anyway, and, and so here's what we're to do. Once you get this straight, we're converted for the purpose of getting to the place where the life that we live reflects on who Jesus is. That's done through the ministry of the body of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're to not be flexible in that. Somebody said the other day, said, you know, Scott's a nice guy, but he's pig-headed. And I confess to that. I'm pig-headed. I'll not compromise an inch on the integrity of the Bible and the necessity of us becoming Christ-like. I'm not going to give on that. 
And the scripture says, in, it's in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, for, not just for me, but for all of us, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I can honestly say that Alice Kay and I, in, in, our, in these last years of our life, have been exactly that. If we're not active here, we're active in Uganda, we're active in Mexico, we're active in somewhere, trying to get people to know who Jesus is. But that's the, that is the purpose of the whole church. And you see, that doesn't work in Uganda. I can go over there and teach, but that doesn't cut it. Because somebody else comes over and they teach for a while, somebody else. But when you put together, when you send them $15,000, $17,000, and now they're cooking with gas instead of importing two truckloads of wood every week, then that gets their attention. They set up straight. When you actually do things and Christ gets the glory, we're accomplishing our ultimate purpose of being the light of the world. We're accomplishing our our purpose. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. And you have to be strong because in these times of temptation, you get to the place where Uh, where you, I mean, things really get tense, and to stay and not move is a terrible temptation. I kind of like the movie Braveheart. I I like the guy who plays in it, too. But, you know, and there's a a scene in it where there are, uh, where he's opposing, the Scots uh, from Scotland are opposing the entire army of the British Empire. I mean, the cavalry's coming this way. The foot soldiers are coming this way. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're outflanked and outmanned. And everybody there is thinking, if there was a hole here somewhere, I'd crawl in it. Because it ain't looking good. But they were told, don't move, hold on. Well, it looks like this. We got it on film. And the Scotsman in the bunch who wasn't thinking if there's a hole, if there's a groundhog hole, if there's a, any kind of hole, I want to crawl in that sucker. Because the pressure was great. And yet, in order to be victorious, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, don't move, be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, I like to hunt. My eyes are not good anymore, and I don't do much of it. I actually sold my sweet 16, and uh, 
and, and all I have is an old 16-gauge pump, Ithaca pump, that was made back in late 30s or 40s. It's an antique family thing. But I used to, when, when we lived in Illinois before coming down here, I had two bird dogs, old Tex and old Kate. Every morning at daylight, Tex, Kate, and my old sweet 16 would head out to go pheasant hunting because the people there that went to church, let me, I was the only one that could hunt on them. And so I would go out. When we moved to Portsmouth from Illinois, I had over three dozen pheasants in the refrigerator. They were, you know, man, I was deadly. Ooh. Blessed is he who toots his own horn. And anyway, working with those dogs is really a thing of beauty if you get them trained well. Because a dog will go on point. He's, he either smells the, the bird or actually, in most cases, actually can see it. And everything within that dog wants to jump on that bird. Well, it looks like this. Here's a dog on point. When that dog is standing there, his nose, his ears don't move, his tails don't move. If he's got one foot up, it stays up, it doesn't move. He's frozen there. And the, and the hunter is coming up behind him, and the only thing that you can see move in the dog are his eyes watching you, watching you, watching you, because you're there to flush the bird. Unmovable. And everything in that dog, every natural instinct in that dog is jump on that bird. I can get that sucker, I see him, and I can get him. But in order to be successful, he has to hold Stay put. Be unmovable. That means he's dependable. You can rely on him. You're going to bring home the meat if you can shoot. So the Lord wants us to get from being a child in the faith, coming through the difficulties of life, meeting the various tests of life, Get over here to the place where we're steadfast and unmovable. And it doesn't make any difference how great the temptation. We stay firmly fixed on the idea of I'm going to show the world who Jesus is. Now how in the heck is that possible? The solution, the Bible says, is crucifixion. We actually can live what some people refer to as the crucified life. That means that we have so identified with Jesus Christ that when he died on the cross, we did too. We did too. And we need to look at that because the scripture tells us that, uh, that, that that's exactly what Jesus said. If you're going to be my follower in the 16th chapter, he said, you've got to deny yourself and take up the cross daily and follow me. You have to live. What happens to this old man of sin over here that you have a tendency to revert back to under tremendous pressure? When you realize that sucker's dead, why go get in, the, in bed with a dead one? He's dead. He's been crucified with Christ. Now, how do we do that? Actually, in the sixth chapter of the book of, he, uh, of, the book of Romans, he spells this out, and probably ought to read it to you because time is about over here in my little watch. 
And uh, I try to live by that so those people back with the children don't want to crucify me. Here's what it says. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too could have a new life. For if we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So the key to, get, to staying over here is to realize that, they owe, that when you were united with Jesus Christ, and baptism is just a symbol, a demonstration of the fact that we are now one with Christ, and said that old man of sin is dead and gone, and we're a new creature, creation in Christ Jesus, and therefore we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And over here, the life that we live through the power of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement of Christian friends, people can see Christ in me, and that's my hope of glory. Amen. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible teaches, yeah. Now, I like what it says about the rewards. Everybody needs a reward, you know. And he says this in to, to the Corinthian church because they were really a screwed up mess. And then I'm going to quit. Here's what it says in the second chapter, uh, starting here at verse 9. Here's the reward for being this person over here who's come from death to life to the place where he's empowered by the Holy Spirit so that Christ can be seen in him. You're going to be rewarded. Here's what he said. No, this is... In verse 9, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And what he's really saying is, I can't tell you how wonderful life is going to be for those obedient people who have been my representative. He actually says in Galatians 5, I want you to be my ambassador. From heaven to earth, I want you to be my ambassador. What's an ambassador? He's a representative of heaven. You become a representative of heaven when you get to the place where you're mature enough for you to say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is, and to die is gain. Well, I'm done. So let's have a word of prayer, and then uh, be generous if you can, because things are tough, as you know. And, and I want you to have a wonderful a wonderful weekend. I want you to be praying for our veterans. Get a chance. If you see one of them in a restaurant, buy them a Coke. Pay for their lunch if you're loaded. You know, let them know we care. And if you're good looking, hug them and that'll do just as good. But anyway, Lord, I ask your blessing upon this gathering of people. Thank you for bringing them here. Help us, Father, to be just what you told us to be, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Help us to be selfless and to be spiritual through the power of your Holy Spirit and the encouragement of each other. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. And all people said, you're free to go. God bless you. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.